Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Good morning, everyone. Um, just a little background before I get started. Um, I started co or joining my dad on this show, I'm going to say 14 to 15 years ago. Um, I can remember the first couple times I was on the show, so nervous, probably did not say a peep into the microphone, had no idea what to say. Um, totally new experience for me. And then fast forward to maybe I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. And I started um, hosting on my own. And I think I probably spent the first three or four years after starting to host on my own being really, really nervous. What would happen if my co-host or my guest for that day didn't show up and I had to do the show all by myself? I was so nervous about that. I would lose sleep about it. it turned uh, what that transitioned into me or the result of that paranoia transitioned into me being incredibly prepared for shows, which is a very good thing. Um, and, and fast forward to today and hosting shows solo is the new normal. Like I guess, uh, there's a lot of new normals in the world right now. Um, but we've, you know, we've been able to line up guests and co-hosts via phone, but of course, because of distancing and whatnot, um, 
I am solo in studio today, but I do have a guest planned for the second hour. So I guess I had to just at some point get over the fear of, of having to do it on my own. Um, and here I am solo, flying solo today, but I have a lot to talk about. Um, I, and I hope it's of course helpful as is always um, the hope, but I believe it's time sensitive as well. Um, so I'm my, my thought for today was to talk about um, accessing money or, you know, where to access money um, for people that have either been furloughed or laid off or people that are worried about being furloughed or laid off or they know it's coming in the future, future, excuse me. Um, there, there's uncertainty out there, of course, for many reasons. Um, but what I wanted the to talk about today was just giving tips and helping people um, navigate when they are in need of money. Um, so I don't have a fancy title for today's show, but it was sort of surrounding, you know, what do you do if you're you're unexpectedly not working? Um, so so before but before I get there, um, I wanted to just give a little bit of, of market related um, inf performance information. So <clears throat> I pulled some. Um, uh, return information for the S&P 500 and for the international stock markets for a couple different time periods. I have, and, and the reason for this is perspective in nature because we have had a little bounce back in the markets and we're not quite in the, the scary place we were in the markets at least uh, about a month ago. And so I just, and I think that that's helpful for people to understand. Not everyone looks at their accounts online and I daily certainly, and I, I actually don't recommend that people look at their accounts online very frequently. There are some people that still get paper statements in the mail. And so they're looking at balances once a month. And, and sometimes I even think that's too frequent. But so the last balance that some people saw were the was the end of March. And the good news is that when these people get their statements for the end of April, I think they will be pleasantly surprised because we have uh, had a little bounce back in the market. So I just pulled a couple um, timeframes. So the top of the market was February 19th. And from February 19th to March 23rd, so just like over a one month period of time, that's like what, 30, today this was the leap year, so 31 days, I guess that is. So in that 31 day period from February 19th to March 23rd, the S&P 500, which is a benchmark for the United States stock market, it's the biggest 500, 500 of the biggest companies in the US. The S&P was down 33.4% in that 31 day period of time. So that was a, not only is that a steep decline, but that was a very short period of time to see a decline of the, that that was that significant. And international markets were about the same. I'm looking at a benchmark for international stocks of developed countries and international stocks of emerging markets countries. And those were down about 32 and 30% respectively in that same 31 day period of time. So that was a very um, steep and scary and short decline. And the, but the, and so tra that translated to people getting statements of, for the end of March where anyone, probably anyone that had any sort of stock exposure in any sort of uh, portfolio saw losses, temporary downward fluctuations. Some people call them losses. I would call them a downward fluctuation, but they were seeing balances that are that are much lower than they were comfortable with, I'm sure. Everyone always remembers the highest balance that they see with their money. But and however, the good news is that it, as, as of now, anyway, the bottom of the market was March 23rd. So if I run a performance report from March 24th, the following day uh, through May 1st, 
The good news is that the S&P 500 in that, what is that, a 35, 36, 37 day period of time, the market, the S&P 500 is up 26.7%. And international markets are not too shabby as well, about 21% each. So it, so we have, we have had a bounce back. We have not, those, those stock indices have not fully recovered and they're not back to where they were on February 19th, but we have had a nice bounce back in the markets in the last month or so. And so that's the good news so that people that only look at their balances once a month, which I think is great more frequently than that, I don't think is, is healthy for, for your uh, mental state, uh, especially in markets like this. But the good news is that when people get their April statements, I think they'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. So we're not in like that scary, crazy market territory that we were in mid-March. We've had a bounce back. I will never pretend to predict the markets. I do not know if we'll have another dip. I do not know if the recovery has already started and we're on our way, um, hopefully back to where we were earlier this year. But at least where we sit right now is that the markets have not fully recovered, but but we've had a nice bounce. So year to date, so what that translates to is year to date. So so bear in mind if when the mar- if the markets go down 33%, they have to go back up more than 33% in order to be where they were when they started. Like if you have $100 and you're down 30%, you have $70, but you need to be back up about 50% in order to be where you started. So it's not a it's not a one for one down up. You have to be up more than you were down in order to recover your dollars. But the good news is that year to date, I guess this is good news. Uh, uh, year to date is that the S&P 500 is down, uh, excuse me, year to date through May 1st, the S&P 500 is down 11.8%. So that's sort of in the range of normal downward fluctuation for for the S&P in a given year anyway. So I want, and international markets are down a little bit more significantly, 17, 18%, something in that range through May 1st. But I just, I wanted to, I don't know, shed a little bit of light uh, on on the markets. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of good news out there, but maybe give a little snippet of good news. Um, In my mind, that's good news anyway, that, that we've had a bounce and hopefully people feel a little bit better when they see their balances recently. Okay, so getting back to my original plan, I wanted to um, sort of go through what people can be thinking about, what they can be doing and not doing if they are, if you're laid off or furloughed and it, perhaps if you weren't fully prepared for it uh, by by way of having a, a healthy emergency reserves account, or even if you thought you were prepared for it and maybe you had three mon- months worth of emergency reserves and, and, and you end up being unemployed for a longer period of time than that, then, um, you know, things to think about when you're looking for income. So... I sort of, I put together, I was thinking about all the places that people can go to access money if they're not working. And I have a recommendation for, this is sort of generic. And of course, investment advice of financial advice is tailored to each person because everyone's financial situation is different. But I, I think just generically speaking, I wanted to put together a list of the order in which most people, in my opinion, should go to access money in desperate times. And I think that this list is different for people under, I'm, 
under retirement age and retirement age, of course, is different for everybody. But I sort of put together a list for people around age 55 and under. And then another list for people that were working or still planning to work for a while, but maybe they're over the age of 55 or 58 or something like that. Because I think that where you would go to access money is different based on how close you are to retirement. So for the people... I would say not super close to retirement. So I'm going to call that like, and of course this is different for everybody, but I'm going to call that like age 55 and under, or maybe age 50 and under. Here's my list of where I think, uh, this is in order of where I think people would go to access money in desperate times. So number one, of course, is bank cash, CDs, money markets. Any cash that anyone has, hopefully a lot of people going into this had emergency cash. Of course, not everyone has a sufficient emergency reserves account. I always try to talk to my clients about the importance of having emergency cash. And so of course, you're going to go to your emergency reserve cash fund first. That's why it's there. This is certainly a, a situation where I would classify this as an emergency if you're laid off or furloughed. And, and this is why you carry cash in the bank because unexpected things happen. Beyond that, if cash depletes uh, or is getting close to being depleted. So again, for the not super close to retirement age people, I would go to probably a non-retirement investment account. If it was invested either in like conservative type investments or moderate risk type investments. So I'm break. so, so in the world of investing, I'll just back up a step, a, a step. In the world of investing your money, broad categories of types of accounts that people can open and invest money in, we have retirement accounts and non-retirement accounts. And there are, you know, that's a very broad category and there's different types of each, but I'm just going to start by saying non-retirement. In my world, that's called non-qualified. Some people might call them taxable accounts, but And then on the other side, we have retirement accounts and that's your IRA, 401k, and there's other types as well, 403b, SEP, simple. So again, for for the people that are not super close to retirement, if you are fortunate enough to have some non-retirement investment account, accessing that after depleting emergency cash is a great option because there are, there could be tax consequences to access those funds, but not as significant as the tax consequences to access money from a retirement account. Now I'll get into the CARES Act and, and changes to that they have made to ability to access money about from retirement accounts a little bit later, but let's just for now, make the assumption that if people have a non-retirement investment account, so we would call that like an individual account or a jointly owned account with a spouse, for example, or a living trust type of account, those are non-retirement accounts. And even if there are investment gains in that portfolio, which some some of uh, previous investment gains are now temporarily eradicated, but which is good from a tax perspective when you're taking money out of that type of account, but not an investment perspective. So, anyone that has an account like that can can access money and withdraw money with fewer or no tax consequences, fewer tax consequences than grabbing it from a retirement account. So if someone has an investment account that's moderate risk or moderately conservative or some, some bond investments in there, and if those those positions are likely either not down in value or they're down in value moderate, it, 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 uh, minimally, I guess I would say, um, that's a great place to access money 
after cash is depleted. If you have a non-retirement investment account and it's all in stock investments, you might still have some fairly significant losses and you might be a little bit hesitant um, to, to liquidate and take money out of an account like that when your securities are down in value. Because in the world of investing, good investor, good investment practice is to sell high and buy low. When your securities are up in value, great time to sell some or all, take some profits while you have them. And you want to buy securities when they're down in value. We've, I've had shows in the recent past where markets are, they're still down in value, but you know, more significantly down in value in March and great buying opportunity because stocks were on sale. So in the world of investing, you want to sell high and buy low. What you want to try to avoid is selling low. So as I alluded to earlier, most stock portfolios are probably still down in value, single or low double digits year to date. So you might want to try to avoid selling that when it's down in value and give it time to recover if you have time to allow it to recover. So so again, reverting back to my list of where people can access money in a, in a pinch, bank cash, CDs, money markets, non-retirement investment accounts, again, you know, sort of balancing the performance of it and, and whether or not you want to sell it when it's down in value with the, with the need for cash. And this, that's, that's certainly going to be a balance. After that, home equity lines of credit. Hopefully, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have home equity lines of credit that might not be maxed out yet. Hopefully there's room on a home equity line for a lot of my clients. I, even if someone doesn't need a home equity line of credit at the time that I'm having the discussion, sometimes the recommendation is, hey, get one just in case because you never know. And, and in my mind, for most people, a home equity, an untapped home equity line of credit is a great backup to an emergency reserves account. And actually in a pinch can, can be an emergency reserves account while someone is working to build their own cash position. So if you're lucky enough to have a home equity line of credit available to you when you're laid off or, or furloughed, then that's a great place to access money, the way those um, work is that you borrow against the equity uh, in your home. It's a variable rate loan, but you have the, what's great about them is that you have the option to just pay interest only for a period of time. I believe it's 10 years and then it reverts to principal and interest payments mandatory. So you can, you know, in an emergency situation when income is down and someone has a desperate need for cash, borrowing against the equity in your home, if you have a home equity line of credit, and being able to pay that back with pretty minimum payments because you can just pay interest on a monthly basis and interest rates are, are still really low, that's a great option. If you are currently unemployed and you don't have an, a home equity line of credit and you can't get one when you're not working, I don't know if, you know, maybe if one spouse is laid off and the other is working, you could try, but a home equity line is such that it would need to be put in place before you lose your job because the bank, of course, is going to want to see an ability for you to pay back the funds that you borrow from your home if you have equity in your home. So that's a great place to go grab cash in a pinch. And then, so further down the list, I'm, I purposefully haven't gotten to retirement accounts yet. I, I would hope that that would be one of the last places that people in their 30s, 40s, and, and even early 50s would go to access money in an emergency. Further down on, on my list of where to access cash is 401k loan. Now, bear in mind, if you're not working, if you've been laid off, you may not be able to take a 401k loan. I'm actually not 100% sure how it works on a furlough. If you can borrow from your 401k when you're furloughed, that would... Um 
if anyone listening knows the answer to that, any retirement specialist, I would actually be curious. But, um, but what I meant by a 401k loan is like if one spouse is laid off or furloughed, perhaps the other spouse has a 401k from which you can borrow. And I would just, just one little note on that is just, you know, when you're borrowing money from somewhere and I know, and I know this, these are desperate times for some people, just make sure you have some ability to pay it back. Always a concern when you, when you take out a loan. So we're going to get to analyzing expenses in a moment, but just a little note there, if you're thinking about borrowing from a 401k or borrowing from anywhere, just, you know, ensure you've done your due diligence about your ability to pay that back. So, so, and then furthest down the list is uh, the last two items that you would get to if all other items are either non-existent or, or exhausted. People that have Roth IRAs, if you have had the Roth IRA open for more than five years, you can access capital in the Roth uh, with no taxes and no penalties. So capital, which is your dollars contributed to a Roth IRA, because those were after tax contributions to begin with. The nature of a Roth is such that you make after tax contributions, you pay taxes on those dollars and then you put the money in the Roth. So you can grab your capital or your contributed dollars from a Roth IRA after five years with no taxes and no penalties. So if, you know, most people have, uh, not everybody has incredibly large balances in Roth IRAs. The the contribution limits are, are relatively low compared to what people can put in a 401k and not everyone is eligible, eligible to put money in a Roth. And a Roth doesn't always make sense for people because a lot of people can benefit from the tax deduction that's available in other types of retirement accounts. But if you're, if you do have a Roth, bear in mind, you can access capital, which is your contributed dollars with no taxes and no penalties. If you've had that open for five years. And then last on my list is IRAs. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And if you, um, if you are desperate for funds and, and an IRA is really your, your only source, uh, your only other asset, then you can actually, because of the CARES Act in 2020, if you can prove that you are somehow affected by COVID-19, and that would be either the virus itself or, or a layoff or a period of unemployment, then you can uh, draw money out of your IRA. You will pay taxes, federal and state, if you have state taxes like we do in mass. But the 10% penalty for, for distributions in calendar 2020 are waived. They're forgiven. There's no 10% penalty if you can prove that the distribution, the distribution is because you were impacted by COVID-19. So that's like last on my list because you're setting yourself back in terms of retirement um, and, and you will pay taxes on those dollars. So you're not getting as much bang for your buck. But what's great about this year is that the 10% penalty is not, um, it doesn't exist if you can prove that you were affected by the virus. So I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm just talking about tips for people that are desperate for money because of a furlough or a layoff. Lots more to talk about. Just taking a quick break and I'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the, uh, the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley on 95.9 FM WATD in Marshfield and 980 AM WCAP in Lowell. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I am uh, here this morning flying solo for the first hour, but I do have a phone co-host for the second hour, Kurt Zarnowski, social security specialist. We like to have him on the show at least once a year. Usually he comes in person, but today he'll be by phone. Um, just going over 
some specifics regarding uh, people that are of the age to collect social security, security or approaching the age to collect social security. I thought that would be a nice tie-in to my show today. My show today is giving people some tips and some things to think about if they're worried about where to get money because of a layoff or a furlough or worry about one of those two things. I thought that would play in well because people that are in their 60s but still working, if they're forced into retirement earlier than expected, then they will have the option to collect Social Security. Not so much with people that are under the age of 62, but so we'll talk about Social Security stuff coming up after the next break. So what I wanted to do was give some people like a list of, in my mind, an order of where people would access money. Number one, I'll move on from that in a minute and, and talk about other things that people can do and think about if they're if they're desperate for money. Obviously, unemployment has been enhanced as a result of the CARES Act. So I've actually had some conversations with, with some people in recent weeks that have that have applied for and started collecting unemployment and you know some because of the enhanced unemployment benefits and that extra $600 uh, added to the maximum unemployment uh, some people are finding that they're not much, not in a much worse off financial state than they were before being furloughed and laid off. And if that describes you, that is great. That was the reason that part of the stimulus package was enhancing social security so that people wouldn't be as financially strapped. But bear in mind that the, that extra $600 a week added to social security only is currently set to only last through July 31st. So if that doesn't get extended, I have no knowledge that it will get extended, but uh, I suppose anything is possible. If that does not get extended, then people should be prepared to, uh, for, for their, if they're still on unemployment and not working, prepared for their finances to change a bit after July 31st. So that's the good news. So unemployment has been a respite for people. Uh, that's why it's there. And it's it's better now than it ever has been as a result of the CARES Act. So I will say this, bef I've said this before and I've said it again. I, I, I would not want to be, I've never really wanted to be a politician. Sometimes I think I can solve all the world's problems, but I would certainly not want to be a politician today today's world, they are making some really hard decisions and, and trying to find a balance between health and a healthy economy. And I would, I commend everyone that is a, that is in politics right now for being there and for making these tough decisions for us. And I think the government is doing what they can to help people through this from a financial perspective anyway. Kudos to that. All right, so just uh, moving on uh, for people that are in my first list of where people should go to access money was sort of geared toward people that weren't close to retirement age. The list for people that are closer to retirement age, I would say like 55 plus or maybe 60 plus is a little bit different. I would go to, you know, obviously bank cash, CDs, money markets first, non-retirement investments first, just because they're more tax efficient. People can take money out of non-retirement accounts and either pay capital gains tax on any growth, which is less than income tax, or or because markets are down in value and some many investments are down in value right now, people might take money out of an, a non-retirement account and not pay any taxes because maybe tax gains are temporarily not there. So, so very tax efficient. And then for people that are closer to retirement age, I would avoid the 401k loan and maybe even avoid the home equity line. And I might go to retirement accounts first. I mean, all advice is individualized, but sort of generically speaking, if you're approaching retirement age, then then taking money out of retirement accounts might be a better option than, than, than adding to your debt, just because I think that it's great for people to have 
little to no debt as they approach and get into retirement. So um, I would just kind of reverse that. So for the younger people, borrowing from a home equity line or a 401k, great options. But for people closer to retirement age, I might recommend going to retirement accounts instead of building debt, especially because, you know, if you build debt, you need to be able to be going back to work to pay it off. And there might be some people on the approaching retirement age that are sort of first forced into retirement earlier than they thought. And so you don't want to have debt that you can't or don't want to withdraw from your assets to pay back. So I would just flip those based on your age. I would say a huge, you know, huge piece of advice for people that are currently not working or worried about not working is to just revisit your spending. I mean, not many people routinely go through a budgeting exercise. There's not a whole lot of people that analyze their spending on a month to month basis or even a year to year basis. That budget, the budgeting exercise or the, what I call itemization of expense exercise is a great one for people to go through in any situation, just because when you pay attention to your expenses, you sort of force yourself into more responsible spending habits. And, and you're more inclined to spend money on what you value because you're you're thinking about it. And so I think that's just a good exercise anyway. But of course, if someone's worried about income going down, of course, you know, no brainer, revisit your spending. Go through and write down either a spreadsheet or whatever, or use an app on your phone to itemize all the expenses you've had in the last year and, and revisit what you can cut right now. I mean, it will be easy in some categories to cut spending right now. Obviously not a lot of people are traveling. There's not a lot of entertainment related expenses. You know, dining out expenses are lower. You know, even if you're doing takeout, uh, pr- presumably, you know, dining out is lower. Gym memberships and things like that. So I think it's, it's really not always easy for people to cut spending, but because of what's going on in the world, it's because life is so different right now, um, cutting spending in certain areas should be pretty easy or have already happened by default. But just other things, obviously people can revisit is household improvement type spending, lawn care type spending. Those things add up projects to your house and, and lawn, you know, upkeep and things like that. That stuff just tends to add up. And, you know, not to mention a lot of people are home right now, everyone's home right now, but uh, you know, we might have more time to landscape your yard. And, and so expenses might just naturally go down in that category as well. It's, it's actually really nice to see, not that I drive around a lot, but when I'm driving around, it's just, it's nice to see everyone outside and, you know, taking care of their lawn and kids out playing, even if they're playing alone. But so anyway, that's kind of nice. So revisit spending, bear in mind, like I said earlier, if you are on unemployment, that the, the extra $600 a week, that was um, that's added to checks as a result of the CARES Act is scheduled to go away on July 31st. So, so that's a few months away and a nice buffer for people. But if unemployment lasts longer, then just bear in mind that finances might change effective August 1st. And so I think, so as I said earlier, in conversations I've had with some people, what's been great about unemployment right now is that some people are finding that their income isn't down much or at all. And if that's the case, and you know, while people have this, or the people that are on unemployment, while they have this $600 sort of bonus uh, income per week, 
then if your finances are about the same as they were before, maybe you're actually in a position where you can save some money. If you can, you know, tuck away, if you can cut expenses or they've already, they've already been cut for you just because life is different. Maybe you're in a position where you can bank some money so that when unemployment reverts back to normal, effective August 1st, maybe you have a little cash buffer and maybe you're more prepared for it at that time. So moving on to uh, portfolio considerations. So that was sort of just like life advice and where to go get money and things to think about if if you're strapped for cash right now. I wanted to talk about, is this just portfolio considerations for people that are worried about money. I guess probably everyone is somewhat worried about money these days, but because we've had a little balance back in the market, hopefully people aren't as stressed as they were before. But just big picture type stuff. So ideally in markets like this, where we are having a temporary downturn in the markets, and I do have faith that we will recover from this and the markets will be strong again someday and will surpass the level that they were at on February 19th, which so far was the high in the market, the S&P 500. Ideally, you know, in markets like this, time is your friend. And ideally you want to allow your portfolio time to recover from this market. We never know how long it will take for a bear market, which is the bad one. We never know how long it will take for it to pass. Um, and you know, throughout history, they're always different in terms of you know, what causes them and, and length and depth. But what we do know is that all throughout history, all bear markets, which is the bad one, have been followed by bull markets, which are the good one. And I believe that will be the case this time as well. And time is your friend. Hopefully for anyone that had dollars that were invested in the markets and had any sort of stock exposure. Hopefully you have time before you need, certainly all that money, before you need to access that money. So if if you, uh, leading up to this COVID-19 uh, pandemic and, and downturn in the market, if you were in an all stock or a primarily stock portfolio, hopefully you had at least eight or 10 or more years before you're planning to access the money. Like as I've been talking about earlier in the show, of course, emergencies happen and sometimes people have to access money that they weren't planning to. But but if, if you were aggressively invested leading into this, you shouldn't have been planning to need that money for eight or 10 years. And I am... I will never pretend to predict the markets, but I'm pretty comfortable that eight to 10 years from now will be well past COVID-19 and markets will have more than recovered by then. I, I'm, I'm just, I just am confident about that. I can't guarantee it, but I'm confident. So, so, you know, if you are aggressive, you should have plenty of time before you need the money. Even someone that had a moderate, that has a, a moderate risk portfolio, or even one that tilts to the conservative portfolios like that, you know, still have stock exposure. And and the way we manage those types of portfolios for clients is that if someone is taking money actively or will is planning to need money in the coming year or two. Even if you're in a moderate or moderately conservative portfolio, we likely had them positioned with cash inside that portfolio because even moderate and conservative portfolios can go down in value. And a lot of people are seeing that right now. 
So, and even with those where, you know, in a balanced type portfolio, downturns are mitigated. That's the, that's the reason that people have a balanced portfolio because they either don't have as much time or they're not as comfortable with, with the volatility and the crazy fluctuations associated with aggressive portfolios. But, you know, even moderate and balanced and conservative portfolios can go down in value. And so if someone has imminent cash needs, uh, they should have cash and and, the, and even a conservative portfolio can fluctuate downward. So time is your friend. So if at all possible, if you have a, an investment account and it's down in value, if at all possible, if you have time to allow it to recover, um, that is ideal. Time is your friend in markets like this. Um, just, just one thing to note in a conversation that I've had with some clients who are, either desperate or getting to the point where they're they're thinking that they're going to be desperate for money or they're worried about how long it will take these markets to recover. If you do have a balanced portfolio, like let's say you have a moderate risk portfolio and in my world, that's about a 60% stock, 50 or 60% stocks, 40 or 50% bonds. That's like a balanced, pretty tr uh, traditional balanced portfolio. When you have a portfolio like that, you likely have several investments inside of that account. And so in times like this, when someone is desperate for money, and again, we want to avoid selling securities when they're down in value, one option is that you can, like let's say you have a 60% stock 40 bond and you have 10 positions in their portfolio and six of them are stock and four of them are bond investments. It's probably not that <laughs> simple but um, uh, or clean, but um, just for example. So, so bond, your bond positions right now, year to date might be, they're probably up in value at the, um, I'm looking at a, a year-to-date return for an aggregate, the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, and it's up almost 5% through May 1st. So year-to-date, it's up almost 5%. So if you have several bond positions in your portfolio, they're actually in there because generally they move in the opposite direction of stock investments, and generally they do well when stocks do poorly, so those might be up in value. So if someone is desperate for money, even if your portfolio as a whole might be down in value year to date, there are probably some securities in your portfolio that are positive in value. And those could be accessed first in an emergency situation to allow, so your bond investments could be drawn from first to allow your stock investments more time to recover. That's one strategy. You, what, I, what people need to understand if they're going to pursue that strategy is that if you're doing like a target, I would call that a um, like a targeted redemption strategy. Like, so let's say you have a $100,000 account and 40 or $50,000 in that account is in bond investments. And let's say you need $20,000 in a pinch. If you take that all that, the entire 20,000 from your bond positions because they're up in value and you don't wanna sell anything when it's down in value, what you are doing though, is you're actually making your account more aggressive. So in that example, you have $100,000, 40,000 is currently in bond investments. 
you need $20,000 because you're desperate for money. So you take all 20,000 from your bond investments. What you've done is then you've left yourself with that same 60,000 in stocks, but now only 20,000 in bonds. So now you no longer have a moderate risk portfolio. You have a moderately aggressive portfolio. So it's a, it's a strategy that can work because if it does allow you time for your stock investments to recover, then once your stocks recover, then you can do like a full, what I would call rebalance. And then you can kind of rejigger your portfolio and make it moderate risk again in the future when the stocks recover and, and you're more comfortable selling some of those off. But um, so it's a strategy that works, but people have to remember that if you're just going to be drawing out from your bond investments and leaving your stock investments, you're making your portfolio more aggressive and you have to be comfortable with that especially if we have another dip in the market. Some people are, some economists, whatever, financial professionals might be calling for, a, they're calling for a double dip or another, you know, we've had a nice bounce. What if there's another dip from here? What if, you know, the economy starts to reopen again as it is now and, and, and uh, cases, COVID cases start to spike again and then we have to close the economy down again. And then there's more fear because, oh my God, we tried to reopen the economy, but we couldn't. And then there's more fear or things get worse. So I, I you know, it's, it, I think it's in the realm of possibility that, that um, we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily gonna be smooth sailing in the markets from here that, you know, a, a, another dip is possible. And um, so if you're selling off your bond positions and making your portfolio more aggressive, and if you are uncomfortable with the downturns you know, if you were uncomfortable with what was happening in your moderate portfolio back in March, for example, you're gonna be even more uncomfortable if we have another dip and you have made your portfolio more aggressive. So this whole concept of we've got some bonds in the portfolio that we can liquidate um, in, in a pinch, I have had conversations with clients about that. I do think that it is a strategy depending on the time and the dollars involved, I certainly think it can be, uh, I certainly think it's a strategy. And I do think that it's a source of comfort for some people to know that, okay, I can access money and and I'm not selling when it's down in value and, and, and sort of ruining my chances of my portfolio recovering. Um, but I, you just have to caveat that with, what you're actually doing. Again, it depends on the dollars involved and in, in the amount you're drawing, but what you're actually doing is making your portfolio more aggressive. So you have to weigh um, the pros and cons there. It, you know, If in my example, you had $100,000 and you needed $5,000 and you were gonna take it from the bonds, you know, yeah, then you're making your portfolio more aggressive, but minimally so. And so, um, you know, that, that strategy, I do think will work for some people and is a source of comfort, but I think talking through the specifics with your financial professional is gonna be very important there. Um, so one, yeah, just another little note on that. So and another, so that that strategy is what I would call like, uh, I don't know, target target selling. I, 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 I don't have a fancy name for that, but um, you know, when you're, when you're sort of cherry picking, if you have urgent needs from your account and you're sort of cherry picking what funds you're going to sell from, that's like a targeted, that's a targeted sale. Another way to free up cash in your portfolio if you need it is to do like a, 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 a what I would call a rebalancing 
sale. So in that example where you, you need $20,000 and you've got $100,000 in a moderate risk, you could a, a rebalancing a, a way to free up that 20,000 in i don't know if i want to use the word more prudent but another way to it's, situationally it's dependent another way to free up that 20 is to just kind of rebalance the portfolio which basically means you're selling off positions pro rata so in that example, you'd be selling off some bonds and some stock positions. And so for some people, that's a little uncomfortable because I'm selling some of my stocks when it's down in value, but then you're not changing your, your, the risk in your portfolio. So, that, so there's a good reason to do it that way as well, even though you are selling off some positions, the stock positions when they're down in value. But what happens is when you do like a rebalancing sale, it, it's not necessarily, I use the term you're selling pro rata it's actually better than that because if your portfolio calls for a 60% stock allocation, and if right now your stock allocation is actually 50% because stocks are down in value, you're actually gonna be selling off, if you do a rebalancing sale, you're actually gonna be selling off, yeah, some of the stocks, but more of the bonds than you normally would just because bonds are up in value and stocks are down. So it's sort of pro rata, but it's better than that. Um, and, and you do end up selling more things that are up in value and you minimize selling things that are down in value. So there are different strategies when it comes to drawing from a portfolio in times like this. Um, and, and I think the recommendation depends again on how, you know, the dollars involved, the, the how the portfolio is invested. Um, and so something that you can talk through with a, a financial professional to kind of figure out what strategy works for you. Um, just another thing to consider with regard to portfolio. I've had some conversations with people that, you know, might, you know, maybe they're going to be forced into retirement earlier than they thought. And, you know, that's uncomfortable. And what can we do to, you know, to, to build a cash position? Um, and, and just one thing to consider is that in the, in the world of investing, um, generally, well, your rate of return is a combination of, um, the the dividends and interest paid out of your portfolio. I call that like your real money. Your securities would pay out, uh, stock securities would pay out dividends and bond securities would pay out interest in the form of, of a dividend. And um, that's like real money that pays into your portfolio. We call that earnings. Um, there's also share price appreciation, which is a component of earnings. And right now we're seeing for the most part in stock investments, share price depreciation. But your rate of return is a combination of your portfolio's earnings, which is your dividends, and your portfolio's appreciation or depreciation. And those two things aggregated together is your rate of return. So most portfolios will, even in times like this, when we have share price depreciation, meaning accounts are down in value, your portfolio could still be generating dividends and interest and, and, and likely is um, and could be for a long time. So one thing you can do to slowly build a cash position and like slowly make your portfolio more conservative over time is to transition dividends from being reinvested like they normally are in the course of investing. Like when you're a young accumulator, your dividends that are paid into your account are just reinvested into your portfolio. One thing you can do is if you're worried about cash needs, you can transition your dividends from being reinvested to paying into a cash position or just staying in your portfolio in a cash position 
and not being reinvested into the portfolio. So that's that's a that's an instruction that you can give your financial custodian or your talk with your advisor about those logistics. Um, but but you could figure like maybe two to four percent per year. Depends on the portfolio and whether it's a high yield or a uh, you know high dividend paying stocks growth stocks, things like that. Um, it, it depends, but I would say ballpark, like two to 4% of the value of the account per year is what maybe you could accumulate in cash. So it's not an, an incredible sum. It's a you know low single digit uh, uh, percent per year is what you could build in cash, but it is a source of comfort for people. So depending on the size of your portfolio, that could be you know thousands of dollars over the course of the year that you could be just building in cash. And that's just like a little, another little source of comfort for people when it comes to their portfolio that, okay, you know, maybe I'm going to be forced into retirement early, or maybe I'm going to have cash needs that I didn't anticipate. I don't want to sell my, my stuff when it's down in value. What can I do? So one thing to consider is let's take those dividends and instead of reinvesting them right now, let's put them in cash. And yes, over time, that's, that, that lowers your rate of return because you're not, when the markets do well, you're not getting the, you know, the full upside because you're not buying up as many shares and, and have upside with more shares, but it's a way to slowly transition your portfolio to a little bit more conservative and build yourself a little cash position. So that's something to consider. Um, all right, we're going to take a break here in a minute. My 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 goal for some of this stuff was to just kind of give people tips and things to think about if you're if you're worried about uh, cash, you're worried about employment, uh, short term or long term, you're worried about unemployment benefits going back down over the summer, and if you're going to be back to work. Um, and and sort of the the idea was, hey, if you need money in a pinch or if you're forced into retirement sooner rather than later. Um, just some things to think about. So after this break, um, we are going to talk with Kurt Zarnowski, who's a social security specialist. He's been on the show several times. Uh, always a wealth of information in the world of social security. And he's gonna. we're going to talk through, so for the people of social security age um, that are worried about employment or being forced into retirement, um, we're going to talk through the specifics about uh, collecting social security and the timing of all that. So... I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We're trying to help people through COVID-19 as best we can and give some good financial advice during these times. Um, stay with us. Wealth of information regarding Social Security right after the break.